Growing Up, our brand new resource for churches and parents is out now. Woohoo! With Sunday school sessions, training videos, podcast episodes for parents and one for the whole family. All there to help our children navigate the confusion, filter the messages they're surrounded by and hear God's good story. All our Growing Up resources point to the Heavenly Father who loves our children even more than we do and has the answer to their biggest questions about who they are and how to live. Together, as families and churches, we can support each other to start good conversations about bodies, gender and marriage so our children can grow up hearing God's good story. Head over to the website faithinkids.org and find out all the details about growing up. But where I, I'm rubbish at this, G- Jesus is better. So whenever I've fed them too much sugar, or, you know, when I've lost one, when everything else is just going awry, actually the core of what I am supposed to do is show them Jesus. Hello. This is the Faith in Parents podcast. We're whistling through, parenting through the stages. We're trying to help parents see what is distinctive about each stage. It's been a pleasure to hear from you so far. I'm pleased you're enjoying it. We're encouraged to get your emails. We're always here to hear from you at info at faithinkids.org. Let my guests introduce themselves. Uh, We'd love to hear what you know about 8s to 11s and how you found that out. Amy, why don't you start? Hello, I'm Amy. I'm here again. I have uh, four children in the 8 to 11s category. Um, that's why I'm here. That That's that's loads, Amy. Four. That's fair I mean, few. Really qualified. <laughs> Amazing. Um, I have two in the 8s to 11s category um, and I've had two who have gone through it. Um, and I work with some as well. Very good. Uh, Louise, you're married to Nick. We have Nick with us as well. Uh, Nick, just tell us, uh, how is it being a father to a large family? What are your, what are most of your days like? Is there an average day? Uh, I think there is. I, I think there's um, lots of people um, when they learn that I have a relatively large family say that I'm mad. I don't think that's true. I think we just have... Um, a general grind of life like most people do and sometimes it's really good and sometimes it's not but I think that's probably normal um, for everybody I suspect. Nick just tell us uh, are they boys or girls in this 8 to 11 window that we're talking about today? Uh, we've got one boy and one girl in it so Fern is 8, Ted is 11 and we've had a boy and a girl gone through it so Ben is 16 and Phoebe is 13. Thanks very much for joining us with uh, four data points already. So perhaps you're starting to see trends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Kim, please tell us a bit about yourself. I'm Kim. I am a teacher. I've taught uh, every age group from nursery up to 16. I've also trained teachers. Um, I'm currently in a mainstream school where I teach year five. So right in the middle. Um, they start the year off as nine, end the year off as ten. Um, 30 of them in a class. So basically, I'm not scared of anything because if you can stand up in front of 30 10-year-olds every day and still be excited about it, you're doing okay. Kim, thank you. Kim, wonderfully confident, positive start. So could you just get the ball rolling? Could you just, if there was to be an alien who had never met an 8 to 11-year-old, can you just give us a pen portrait of, of what they're like, something of what that you think they're going through, trends you see? 
well, they are they are wonderful. Um, they are full of energy. They're full of life. Uh, they are starting to become real people, and um, and I think that's the the most joyous thing about the age group is that you see the the personalities and the characters really starting to evolve. Um, they are less dependent on their parents, so you do start to see more of the independence. You start to see less of mum and dad and more of the individual, um, but they still need their parents and they still need the adult guidance, but they are brave enough and silly enough to try it on their own. Um, they need each other. They thrive on the company of each other, but still need a little bit of time on their own. Uh, they are becoming more challenging because they start to question. Um, and it's wonderful because they ask the questions that we daren't ask. Um, they are they are bold and they are um, fearless in, in some respects and then wonderfully vulnerable and tender um, and gentle in, in many others. Louise, do you, do you want to give us the parents' experience of an 8 to 11? You know, what, what do you get when you open one and take it out of the box? Uh, you quite often get um, a little person who, who thinks they're quite grown up and <laughs> knows most things, if not everything, um, about the world. Um, and yet, in, in their more humble moments maybe more tender moments you get um children who need their parents um very much whether it's a cuddle or whether it's a chat um or whether it's kicking a football in the garden um which we're not brilliant at by the way um they they still need you so you just get this i i just find the 8 to 11s is such a massive mixture it's just a big transition um from child to sort of tween, mini adult. Thank you, Louise. And and Nick, because you have children afterwards and before, what what do you notice, Nick, about this age group? What, what what do you get that you may not have got with the younger ones, and you may not get with the older ones? Um, I think a more general comment on that is that they're all different. Um, so our children all look exactly the same at different ages. Um, uh, but they're all completely different. And I think that brings in it its own um, challenge um, because you have to respond differently uh, to each individual. So Ben, the eldest, um, when he was 11, he was vastly different to, to Ted, who is currently 11. And we have to behave differently with them and treat them differently because they're their own personalities. And I think that's quite quite difficult, but also quite a challenge and quite exciting in a way because you're learning something each time. One of the big things we notice about them is that they like to ask questions. Um, so, so whereas the littlies like to be told things, um, then the eights to elevens like to ask questions, whether they're, yeah, they can be quite inappropriate as well, um, but they do love a question. I think you get uh, emotional exhaustion with this age. Now, obviously, I've got four kids in this category, so I just feel everything is dialed up. So just as like the preschool age was the physical exhaustion, to me, this is the emotional exhaustion. This is the coming home with the, somebody said this about something in my class. This is worrying about what other people think. This is suddenly realising that it's not enough for just mom and dad to to love me and be safe in my family. I need I need to be feel like I belong elsewhere. I need to have a group I identify with. And I'm getting ready to move on to big changes, you know, high school, growing up, all those things are coming. So they're they're big. Um and there's a lot of tears in my experience. And I have three boys. There's quite a lot of huffing. Some people play sport, some people slam doors, some people cry. That's um and it's sometimes that's just me. <laughs> Um, that's my yeah so I've just said the negative because everyone said lots of positives and for the parent who like me is just thinking wow they ran me over today um it's not just you <laughs> Kim do you see uh of the parents of all the children that go before you do you see common trends in what what you see or hear from the parents of this age group 
Yes, very much so, Ed. I think um, I think for some of the parents, there is difficulty um, in uh, seeing that individual uh, starting to appear and having less control over them um, and realising that the influences are not only now from your home and from your family and from your neighbours, but they are starting to be influenced by, by a much wider, bigger world and a world that you have mm. less control over and increasingly a world that we uh, don't understand um, quite as, as well as what we think we do. So the, the children in the class will often say things to me that I, I have no idea where it comes from. Um, and then I realise that they've all been watching very similar things on YouTube or it's a similar programme that they're interested in and there are trends that I can't keep up with. Um, and there there is a wider world that um, that is having a bigger influence on them. And I think for some of the parents that is, that is quite um, worrying it um it can be quite concerning when they come out with uh, language and interests that you might not understand amy can you tell us a little about what might be um for for kim has put her finger on something that's happening with this age group is that independence and the greater awareness of the big world and maybe the influence of a peer group mm. Does that help us, Amy, to start to think about what Christian parenting might look like at this age? Yeah, so I think a big uh, change at this age needs to be you're involving them a lot more in the conversation um, and in, in working out what, what the answer is and what we think about this and, and what, what does this help us with and how does this change things. So rather than this is the story and I'm going to tell you what to do with it, um, this is, you know, let's look at this together. What do you think? How could this help? So it's it's a more open conversation about how does faith make a difference here? And what do you, you know, being okay with their answer and not being overly prescriptive. And this is where this is the right answer that I'm going to ask you the questions until you get this answer that I want. But being a bit more open in what in and letting them perhaps take you somewhere different and actually somewhere surprising sometimes. I think this age group uh, needs so much guiding and so much shaping, a bit like Play-Doh, although you only shape Play-Doh, don't you? You don't guide it. That'd be weird, wouldn't it? Play-Doh <laughs> on a lead. <laughs> weird. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, guiding and shaping. I think, um, as I said before, they're, they're sort of um, still little, but getting old. And I think they become much more aware of um, their peers um, and how they're behaving around them. And as Christian parents, we're, we're often trying to encourage a different behaviour. We've really noticed that um, at school. Uh, and that's what I sort of mean by, by shaping. You're, you're trying to shape a character whilst, as Amy said, guiding them through it, letting them experience it, asking them questions rather than just telling them um, exactly what to do um and sometimes you get a lot of kickback <laughs> but yeah guide and shape i think that's right and, and um to to guide them again going back to my earlier point it probably wasn't answering the question at the time but um they are different and so our eldest we had to guide him heavily in in how to fit in um so he was pretty geeky not very good at sport and quite unpopular which led to certain behaviours, whereas his brother, who is currently 11, is very good at sport and and very popular. So where I think with Ben, the eldest, we were trying to encourage him in, in a way of behaviour and in, in an attitude and a, and a, a character, um, obviously godly, but in one way, with Ted, we're desperately trying to teach him how basically not to be arrogant. Um and so they're very different uh, personalities. I mean, Phoebe was just lovely, um, age 13. So she needed actually very little guiding. We asked her to do something. She just got on with it. Whereas Fern, I think, could easily be the dictator of a communist nation. She's horrendous um, at times. Um, but she she understands things and and... And we just need to teach her really and guide her how to be a, a good friend 
and not fickle and nasty like a number of guys at school are. And so I think you have to guide and shape in, in different ways, I think, depending on the person. Nick, um, we're really grateful to you for allowing us into your family for your pen portraits. You you make it sound, Nick, well, instinctive and simple, but I suspect those summaries of how you've tried to nurture and and you know direct probably took years. Years of working it out and hours of conversation. Nick, can you can you just help us Practically, I guess, with one of your children, what might that have looked like? I, I guess you want to pick one and just tell us a story or tell us what a conversation might have looked like to help them see that for one of, the, you know, the dis- a distinctive you've given us. So I think probably that the most stories would come out of Fern, um, the uh, dictator of this third world nation that I mentioned. Um, she was the most, I think... Um, as a toddler, probably the most defiant person I've ever met. Um, to the stage at one point, I think, where Louise asked her to do something, she just turned around, slapped her backside and said, well, invited Louise to kiss it. Um, and you can imagine what she said. But that was that was one place, um, I think, that we ended up at, which wasn't very good, really. Um, but I think, no, it's not breezy and it's not, easy or quick I suppose um I still think feel I feel like I'm 17 um but it turns out I'm not um and I think that the way I would sum it up is it's little steps and that sounds really kind of management course but literally if you climb a mountain you have to go up step by step don't you and how many times I had that conversation with the kids when we're actually climbing a mountain um but I think it is just little steps and they and allow them to get it wrong. That's the other thing I think that we've we've done. Um, obviously, you allow them to get it wrong in a way that they can learn from um, and where actually the wrongness isn't going to be horrendous. But I think that that's, you just got to accept that sometimes it's going to go badly, sometimes it's going to go well, but whatever happens, it's going to be a slow, slow change, like turning an oil tanker perhaps. And I think that, you know, there are times when Nick and I have, we have had, you know, longer conversations about our parenting and about specific children. But most of the time, we're doing it in the moment. And and God has been so gracious in granting wisdom in those moments where you feel beyond yourself, where you don't know what the appropriate consequence should be for this misbehaviour. I don't know. Um, And someone else is melting down in another room and you've got an emotional teenager and a baby that won't sleep and and you're on two ends of the spectrum. And actually God has been so kind in granting wisdom in those everyday conversations with our our kids. And, you know, we, we try to do you know family bible studies and and we try to read with them in little age groups because we have to split them up because there's quite a lot um but we're not always brilliant at it a lot of the time we haven't got the energy for it but it's just so wonderful to see that actually the moments that i think have counted in their hearts most are when we've been chatting just one to one with them um in, in those moments that you weren't, you didn't even know would happen that day. Um, uh, and God brings verses or Bible characters or experience to your mind. And that, and that's just, that's been a real joy. I think one thing I've learned about this age group the hard way um, is that my kids know the script of what happens when we sit down and read the Bible story. We read the Bible story, you're going to ask us questions, you're going to get us to the point that, are, that often for them, the thing that feels more real is the genuine conversations in a response to their struggle. So like when my my boys have come home with an with an issue or they've learned about something in the world at school and they come home and they 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 don't get it and they want to talk about it and you say um what do you think God thinks about that? Um and to just be brave enough to think, you know, you might not necessarily know what you're going to say, but just be brave enough to open up the conversation to say, what do you think God thinks about that? 
So, you know, for example, there was there's you know been a lot of chat about um, racism and um, injustice in the world, and you know they feel passionate about these things and about you know the environment. And to say just to say what do you think God thinks about that has been so helpful in them understanding. Well, you know this breaks his heart too. This is the kind of things that he's sad about too. That there's there's suddenly a, a connection that um, I know my what my eldest son was this just something that was going, he's a thinker and this is going around in his head. And it was so powerful for him to realise God cares about this, that, you know, when I'm annoyed and when I'm frustrated and I think this is wrong, I can take it to God. And he says, I know, me too. Um, and like for him, that was that was amazingly enough. And I think another thing that has been great is to just get them to pray things through and to ask them to pray for me. Um, I, I don't get this. I don't, you know, what should we do? What What is there to say? What is there to pray? Would you pray? And rather than them feel like there's a, there's a script that, that they can just talk about struggles, emotions, feelings, fears, worries, let's just talk to God about it. Um, I think that's something we've learned and enjoyed. And I think, like you're saying, Amy, praying things through, that's definitely a really brilliant thing about this age is that they haven't got loads of inhibition about praying. And that's been amazing. Um, and like in our youth groups, you know, when I'm teaching like this age group, right, guys, uh, does anyone want to pray? A hundred hands go up. I haven't got a hundred in my youth group. Stop it. Uh, I've got ten. No, but ten hands go up. You know, nine or ten yeah. hands go up because that that's a that's a natural thing of that age group to want to communicate. And that's what I mean about they're still little. You know, they're children who love to talk and explore and therefore they will pray and and especially with um, Fern, the dictator. Um, actually, I found... Bless her. Poor Fern. I love Fern. Oh, you haven't <laughs> met Bernard. Uh, <laughs> you haven't met Anna yet. She's only three. <laughs> She's like Animal from the Muppets. Seriously. Um, but, but actually, one way of really um, connecting with Fern has been to pray with her um, and to let her pray and... Often when you hear her pray, it's her way of also telling you, you know, mm -hmm. what, what's, going, what's on. going on. And that's a great yeah. thing. Louise, while we're just passing through this age group praying, could you just give us one top tip uh, for how you might get this age group praying if yours doesn't? Yeah, I think um, maybe read some verses that show the Lord Jesus asking us to pray and then promising to listen. And that that really helped Fern um, be okay with praying because as Kim was saying in the beginning, that sort of awe, that amazement of God, actually um, them knowing that he's listening is a really good thing. Um, I have seen other people do things like um, pass stuff round um, like the group and if it's yours then you pray or another thing we did do in our family actually because I, I used to try and do which was a bit ridiculous I used to try and do bible time before the school run can you please notice the word used to okay like past tense it was impossible <laughs> but we used to do that and but to make it quick the prayer we used to say our prayer requests all the kids would say one thing to pray for and then everyone prayed for the person on their left. Um, but also lolly sticks. We've done that recently, actually, over lockdown. We've put all um, all our um, church family's names on lolly sticks. And at tea time, they pick out two lolly sticks and pray for two people of our church family. And they love doing that because they get to pick a coloured lolly stick. And Ed, I think one of the things about uh, praying with the children is the same as having a conversation with them, um, in that sometimes the most honest, uh, most intimate conversations are when you're not making eye contact. Um, Absolutely. So, so we all know praying. that uh, the really good conversations that we have are why we are um, in the car and one of you yes. can't make eye contact with the other because you're driving. Um, why dogs are so important to family life because when 
you go for a walk, you're walking the dog, you're not questioning me. I don't have to say anything because this is not the conversation that we're meant to be having. Actually, we're talking about the dog. Um, it's the same um, with things like washing dishes and packing the dishwasher up and, and things like that. Not making eye contact um, allows you to be truthful and to be honest and for you not to feel as though you yes, are the point and the centre of the conversation. But rather the Lord is and rather the communication with the Lord is. And it's, it's why we close our eyes when we pray, because it, it's so intimate and it's so personal. Um, and to do it with a parent who is the one person who is going to tell you whether you're right or wrong. Um, but at the same time, they also the people you least want to let down. Um, and I think that is, it, it's so wonderful. Um, this age group that the awe that they hold their parents in, um, they still haven't lost the hero worship. They still, you are still their hero and they don't want to disappoint you. Um, mm. so seeing, you know, disappointment or concern or hurt in your eyes when they are praying about something maybe deeply personal, um, or deeply hurtful, um, it's really helpful to do it in a situation where you aren't making that eye contact or where that isn't their perception of what this moment is about. Kim, that is so massive. I have learned to pray with my kids with my head down on the table, you know, with your arms full, so they can see nothing of my reaction. Yeah. Um, because I just, I, I, but also I think talking to God in the same way that, that in a way I've learned to have those helpful conversations with my boys particularly is, is car journeys, no eye contact. Yeah. So I've we've taken stuff back to a shop that there's there's one of which ten minutes from my house and I've chosen to drive to the one that's forty minutes away instead with the one child in the front seat of the car because I know we can have a forty minute conversation there and back about what's bugging you because you will talk to me because I'm not looking at you. Um that I just think <laughs> drive places. <laughs> there's a reason why we take our kids all over the place at this age to cricket games or whatever else because we get to drive and talk. I, I, I agree with that entirely, um, but not in every instance, because anyone in the car with me is is slight silence, to be honest. Um, I don't know whether it's just me, um, but yeah, I've noticed when I, I drive Ted to football and various things quite a bit, and, and we're on silence, but we enjoy the music together. Um, but yeah, yeah, we're just in, in silence. But I think the, the time with Ted um, is when he's willing to talk about things with me when we're talking about something he's into and i think mm -hmm. that makes a massive difference um you know i'm um saying things that perhaps isn't very popular but i don't really follow football um but ted is heavily into football so i have to talk football with him and try and be knowledgeable about it and the more i take an interest in what he's doing the more he's willing to engage i think with the Bible, because that's perhaps what I'm into. Um, and that really, I think that really helps us to talk about what, what he's into. I start a one way street. And Nick, if, um, is, is it a function of, of having a lot of children? Do, does it make it harder for you to talk to your children or, or do you just approach it differently? What, what are some ways, Nick, you have those conversations? Yeah. The fact that there are a number of children, I guess does make it, make it difficult, um, in some ways. In other ways, it's quite good because if someone doesn't want to talk to you, there'll be someone else who does. Um, so that's that's quite helpful. Um, but I think the big the big thing I would say about talking to them is one talking about what they want to talk about. So I don't know how long I've talked to Ben about Warhammer. It's so dull. Um, some people love it, and I, I don't hold that against anyone. I'm not here to judge, but I just find it incredibly boring. Um, he absolutely loves it. Um, came eighth in the country. Schools League, check it out. But anyway, um, geeky, I told you. But I think you've got to be unshockable as well. So the questions I've had from Ted, um, particularly around sex education at school, are just things that I wouldn't want to discuss with my parents. But I think you've got to be un unshockable and engage with it because that's what's interesting him at that moment. And I think if, if, if you're willing to, if I'm willing to talk to Ted about it, then he'll be more willing to come to me and and. and talk to me about things um, and I think that probably goes across the whole span of ages mm. 
apart from Henry, who I can talk to for hours, but he can't talk. And so he doesn't get to say anything. Kim, I'd love to start a conversation with you, if I may. Uh, Tell us the beginnings, Kim, of what you notice about how this this age group misbehave, push boundaries, rebel. Uh, What trends do you see, Kim? Ed, the, you know, when, when we speak about trends, the only thing um, th- that, is, that is trendy is, is their interest and the fact that they talk about uh, music or, or um, people that I have no idea about. But behaviour has not changed. So, um, you know, you're, the 10-year-old the, the as they are today is pretty much what you were as a 10-year-old, Ed, and, and what I was as a 10-year-old. And, um, and I think that's, that's important to remember. I think it's really important to put yourself back in those shoes and just to think, my goodness, how vulnerable was I at at that age? How how little was I at at that age, and how much did I need my parents? And um, I think it's important to remember that the up up until about the age of eight, children recognize other perspectives, but they can't assume the roles of others. So that's why when they play, they are the mum, they are the dad, they are the you know the 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 truck driver, they are the 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 pilot. The eight to ten year olds start to recognize the difference between behaviors and intent, and my goodness, they see right through you um, and and that's the one thing I would say about this age group more than anything else is just be honest if you haven't got it, you haven't got it, they can see it so um if you if you are honest and truthful they 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 will come on board with you if you say to them i i really don't know the answer to this but let's find out together they will respect that far more than the bluffing um or the um or the 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 viewpoint that we sometimes take whereas i'm the adult and you're the child just listen to what i have to say they know they know when you don't have the answer and i think that's where it's so wonderful to be able to explore things together um the the 11 year old as as they get slightly older they start to realize that their behavior has an effect on others so you're you know the 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 5 year old the the 6 7 8 year old they don't know that um their behavior is affecting you the 10 year old does they've they've recognized that they've recognized that the way they behave is having an impact on your day on your mood on your behavior and it's very care- you have to be so careful to model that um and and to get it right they they've started to realize that there is a consequence for their behavior um, yeah, I, I agree again entirely with that. They're watching. I mean, it's like um, the first Toy Story film, isn't it? I think Sid is Sid the the bully next door, and all the toys go in his um, garden, and then and then they wind him up, and and they all appear from somewhere and say, "Toys are everywhere. They can hear everything." And I think that's exactly the same with um, children, especially of this age. Um, they see absolutely everything um, and hear everything straight through to my intention um they see what i do i mean my dad used to say do what i say not why oh sorry do what i mean um not what i say um and i i think i've said that a lot in my own mind um and i'd love to be able to say to them do what i do um and not necessarily what i say but mm-hmm. that's i think a really mm-hmm. hard thing as a parent um we struggle um with things uh, in our behaviours or whatever, but they are watching us and they can see straight through it, as Kim says, every time. Nick, did you get that the right way around? Um, you want your children to be able to do what you do? Uh, I think so, yeah. I'd love them to to do... I'd love them not to do what I do, as in uh, skills or not, but I'd love them to behave in a way that I do, but only if I'm behaving in a godly and right way. Um, I don't want them to behave like I generally do, which is clumsy and ill thought through and sinful. Um, But there you go, I am a sinner. I think that's just a challenge for us all, isn't it? And I think that's probably uh, where I feel most discouraged when um, there's such an onus in this age group to be watching us and yet... I just feel the weight of my sin every day and just the the way that I've just let them down in in showing them Christ um daily uh 
yeah, I, I, I find that really hard. Um, yeah, I, I'm sort of with Nick. I just need to be humble. And, and Louise, how are you not broken then? What, what, is, what is the way forward? What do you do when you get out of bed the next day? Yeah, um, <laughs> do you assume I'm not broken? I feel pretty broken. <laughs> <laughs> I feel very broken. <laughs> I know this oh, isn't Louise. like some sort of um, counselling session, but I'm broken, well, Ed. It could <laughs> be, me. just a lot of people listening, Louise. It's your choice, really. <laughs> I would have done it again. Sorry. Personal stuff. Um, no, I am broken, Ed, but, okay... I I know the Lord Jesus, which is a super wonderful thing. I'm thinking about getting a tattoo for my 40th. I don't know what people think about that. But anyway, it's going to say, oh, Nick, Nick's put a thumbs up. He wants me to. Okay. Anyway, what it's going to say <laughs> is Jesus is better. And, and that just applies to everything. And I say it to our kids loads because he is. But where I, I'm rubbish at this, Jesus is better. And um, there's a verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 22, verse 6, which says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So whenever I've fed them too much sugar or I've let them watch something which is not the right age for them, Henry's watched stupid stuff when Ben's watching it. Oh my word, don't tell anyone. Um, or, or, you know, when I've lost one or when I've failed to take an opportunity to point them to Jesus. Um, actually, the most important thing that I do for them is to show them Jesus. And it's him who equips me to do that. So as I say, when everything else is just going awry, actually the core of my parenting, the core of what I am supposed to do is show them Jesus. And so if that's a prayer or a Bible study in, on a better day um, or a conversation or encouraging a friendship with um, some kids at church, then that, that's the super thing. And, and that's what I pray for, that God would help us to train up these children in godly ways that they should go. I think uh, I think also to extend that a little bit, a, a really practical um, thing that I've learned, which I don't find easy, um, but to help with all of this is to actually say sorry when we get it wrong. Um, mm, you know, we, totally. we spend hours getting the kids to say sorry um, to each other. But if we... I don't know how many times I've genuinely said sorry to our children. Too many to count, I suspect. But I'm sort of hoping that they they will one day appreciate that, that I'm hopefully being honest that I've got it wrong um, for whatever reason. And I think that goes back to a little bit to what Kim was saying before about this age group is, is about that learning stuff and needing you, but, you know, not needing you and you being their hero that it's such an opportunity to show them what to do when you mess up because they're going to mess up. Uh, and that, that when we say sorry and when we re- talk it out back to them to say what I did was this because I thought this and I felt that, so I did this and that wasn't the, be- the, the, the right thing to do, that helps them be able to work that out too. So I think, and to me, that's key in the sort of discipline of this age group is that, you know, that is the, um, I think that the sort of shame and embarrassment of having got it wrong is massive. So to take take them off away from others, which in a busy family is sometimes hard to do, but it's worth the extra effort. You know, we've had conversations in the utility room with the door shut because, you know, we need, this is just you and me working this out. And let's talk about what just happened then. Why do you think you did that? What do you think you would have done differently? Can you see how this so it's trying to get behind the what went wrong there. Um, and I think to me, massive is is the conversation away from others and the conversation about can you see how and and what would you do differently and 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 you're modeling that with how you tell them, can you see how I did this? And can you see how I got that wrong? And can you see what I could do differently next time and how I'm gonna try and fix it? Um, to me, that's a massive change for me in how I'm disciplining my kids. And that is, I think, a distinctive of this age group, is that with, with mm. fives to sevens, they might have been on the naughty step and you go and have the conversation then and then they come off it. 
I think with this age group, mm. 8s to 11s, you probably are going to pick a moment two hours later when the, the anger has lessened, the hurt has subsided, and you and you you get, or even at bedtime, you you get to talk about how that situation happened. You get to try to search for the honesty because as we've been talking about, they understand when they've got it wrong. They understand how they contributed. And if you can get to the honesty of, we're having this conversation to learn not to be punished. I'm interested in what's going to happen next time when all those triggers that caused you to get that angry happen again. What what will we do mm. next time? And it's okay to say it's going to happen again, Dad. And that's the prayer. That's the prayer. Uh, Louise, uh, you work for a church as well as being a parent. H- how can church support this age group and parents of this age group? Help parents to talk to their children. Um, I, I really, I really think that is key. Um, because if you learn to talk with them now, then as they become teenagers, um, they will keep talking. Um, and that sounds like I've got it all right. It's not, I've, I've learned that. Remember, we're on number three and four in the eights to elevens here in my family. But um, I, I really do think that's key. If, if parents can, yeah, talk to their children and be unshockable. Um, like Fern came in the other day uh, to, to Nick and I's bedroom um, and she just, she just looked at us and said, do you two time your sex? <laughs> to, to which I didn't, I wasn't inside laughing, okay? On the outside, so cool, cool cucumber here. And I just said, well, I think that'd sort of take the romance out of it, Fern. And she said, oh, for goodness sake, throw some fairy lights over the clock and get the timer on. <laughs> um, okay, <laughs> which, again, told you, Amy, you haven't met Bernard. Quite the force. Um, <laughs> but you see, what that actually led to was a really lovely conversation about why romance is part of God's brilliant gift of sex in in a marriage. And and that was that was so great, you see, because... I'd learnt to be unshockable and just talk. So, you know, it might feel a bit embarrassing inside, but actually mm-hmm. great that that we could have that conversation. So I would say my experience from church and parenting would definitely be just keep the lines of communication open and talk. And there's something to say there, which is th- this is the age group where there is a growing understanding of their bodies. Yeah. And that there is uh, puberty is on the horizon. So uh, the conversation I had two weeks ago was, Dad, what's a wet dream? And uh, I have learned, as Nick said, that awkwardness of talking about sex. My solution is to keep talking as long as possible so they know, you know, this is a conversation that could last forever. Uh, And uh, I'm just sharing my awkward story, Louise, so you don't feel too alone in this. (laughs) I also... I think the whole the whole thing of saying it could be a bit embarrassing, but let's talk about it because it's it's it needs we're your safe place. That there needs to be, you know, we're who you talk this through with. So, you know, you have you have to be able to bring all of your questions and you know, so when do I start shaving? You know, I've had that conversation this week. That, you know, those are all the things that they need to talk about, otherwise it's gonna drive them insane so as as somebody who has just had um a whole week of pshe slash science slash health education where i have just taught um sex education to 30 10 year olds i can tell you that there is no embarrassment on their part my goodness they Mm -hmm. ask questions they ask the most brilliant questions um and and i think in in one respect that is that is where something like sunday school and youth groups can be wonderful because you are that one little step removed so i i know that they would have a conversation with me that they wouldn't dare have with their parents um because because there's embarrassment and and it's just the thought 
thought of that you know the first time we we spoke about it properly I could see them all thinking oh my goodness my parents have done this and the shock and the horror on some of their faces um but in the classroom with others and being able to model good answers and and to be able to take away the shame and the embarrassment was wonderful I thoroughly enjoyed it I know I know that <laughs> teaching sex ed should probably not you know be high on the agenda I was so pleased that I could do it and do it um, properly and do it appropriately um, and also bring in conversation about loving relationships and about respect. Um, the, the other thing that I would say about this age group and um, and again, you know, talking about sex ed and talking about anything, make it concrete. Don't always assume that they understand what you are talking about. Um, and, you know, I, I remember to to my shame having um taught the entire crucifixion story and done the whole of holy week for a week um and done everything that and i thought had had gone wonderfully and then had a look at some of the pictures that children of nine and ten years old had drawn and one child in my class who was absolutely wonderful and articulate and had loved the story had drawn a tomb and had drawn the angels around the tomb and had drawn a seal on the tomb. And the seal had flippers. It, <laughs> it was nice. there in the middle of Palestine, a, a seal on the tomb. And I realized that she had completely misunderstood what I'd mean and what I'd meant about placing a seal on the tomb. And the same child had asked me about, um, the horse drawn carriage and how Surely by now I knew that horses have hooves and can't draw. And and I think even at this age, the, the nine, the ten, the eleven year olds spell it out for them sometimes. They do they do need it. And we as um as teachers and as parents and particularly as Christian parents and Christian teachers, we are speaking about big stuff. You know, when you're speaking yeah. about redemption, make sure that they understand it. When when you're speaking about sacrifice, make sure that they understand those words and that you give them concrete examples so that they aren't left with the furry seal on, on the tomb and having lost the story completely. <laughs> make it concrete. Kim, thank you. We're, we're coming to an end. So I, I guess our guests, is there a word you have for how we encourage parents, uh, how churches can support them uh, or... <laughs> Or, or things you say to yourself versus you go to? You can answer any of those questions. You only have one go at it. Uh, Louise, do you want to start us off? Yeah, I think I think really um, what I was saying before about um, just Proverbs 22, verse 6, um, that my job, um, <laughs> the world tells me my parenting of 8 to 11 should look a certain way, uh, pre-hands off, let them, you know, become independent, um, and just tell them to follow their dreams. Um, Christian parenting looks different and at the heart of it is to show them that Jesus is better and is all that they need. And it's so brilliant that Jesus knows each of our children way better than we ever could. And he knows and promises to equip us. He knows how to equip us um, to parent them his way. He will honour us if we're if we're honouring him. I guess. Um, I think one thing I really enjoy watching is the Yorkshire Shepherdess. Shepherdess. Um, it's about a family in North Yorkshire and their shepherds. And and the more I've seen them, the more amazed I've been at the uh, noticed the work of the shepherd. First of all, they 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 breed sheep. They look after sheep. They watch over their sheep. They know. They, I wouldn't say they know them by name, but they, they you know, they, they, they deal with everything for these sheep to make sure that they thrive. And, and I think that um, we have the ultimate shepherd, of course. And I pray that I would show um, Christ in the way that I love and care for my family, but that I point them to the ultimate shepherd in the Lord. Thank you, Nick. Mm. Amy. A last thought? Um, so I think if you ever thought you owned your child, you know, that you were in charge of them and controlled them, this age group teaches you that you don't. Um, and for me, it's that 
this is the joy of walking alongside them and pointing them to Christ and letting them take more take take on more of the adventure so you're on the adventure with them rather than in in front of them pulling them this way that you get to walk alongside them on this exciting adventure of knowing Jesus and following him and eventually we're dro- the idea is I'm dropping further back and so that in the the next stage I'm going to be behind them going you can do it go for it um and I think that's been massive for me to learn where I now I'm supposed to be um, and it's a joy to actually watch them begin to take those steps for themselves. And, you know, so as much as it is emotionally exhaust, exhausting, it's also massively encouraging to see they're starting to take this on for themselves. And I just think, wait, pray and trust God. We're very grateful to all of you. Uh, thank you, Louise and Nick, uh, for, for your honesty Thank you, Kim, for sharing your experience. And thank you, Amy, for the laughs. Uh, This has been the Faith in Parents podcast, which is produced by Faith in Kids. Uh, Amy and I work for that team. Uh, We're a growing team. We're trying to do more because people keep telling us that what we're doing is better than mediocre. Thank you for that encouragement. Do email us with anything. Email us at podcast at faithinkids.org. And obviously... Money sort of makes a small part of a charity world go round. So if you feel able to give to Faith in Kids, we would love to know that you support us not only in our your prayers, not only in your messages, but also financially. Please do get in touch. You can click on the website at faithinkids.org. Thank you for joining us. Kim, would you pray for the parents, the teachers and all those who support 8s to 11s? Sure. Thank you, Ed. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you that we are able to talk openly about being Christians, about being Christian parents, about being Christian teachers. And we give you great praise and thanks that we live um, in a society that allows us to be that through your good grace. Lord, I, I ask and I pray that you keep all of our children safe. Um, they are not our children, but they are yours. And I pray, Lord, that as you tell us in Luke 12, that um, there are sparrows and that they have been sold for something so little, but yet you have not forgotten any of them, that you know all of those sparrows, that you know the very hairs on our heads and you know the very hairs on our children's head and that they are numbered and that you know them um, and that you command and you tell us, do not be afraid, that you are worth more than many sparrows. And I praise you and thank you, Lord, that we are able to be parents and work with children who you love so much that you sent your son to die for them and that you sent your son to die for us. Um, All praise and honour to you. Amen. 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 You have been great. Those on the panel and those listening, keep going for Jesus. He has you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye.